You are listening to audio from Citizens Church Almira. You can find more resources and learn more about our church at citizensalmira.ca. In 2 Peter 1, verse 3, it says this, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Not all our demands, not all our desires, not everything that we might wish for, but everything we need all the resources we require to live the life of faith. I shall not be in want. Now, for a few minutes this morning, I don't really have points to my message. I just have some underlines for my message. And I want to underline a few key words and a few key phrases. The first phrase is found in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. My shepherd. It's profoundly individual. It indicates a personal relationship. A lot of the Psalms are more general. It talks about you and you are, but this is very personal. This is my shepherd. It's the language of belonging. Not that just God cares generally for people, or he generally cares, but he actually is my shepherd. This Psalm is not really designed for general society. This Psalm is directed at God's people, those who are believers, those who have chosen to be under the authority of the shepherd, those who see the shepherd as their savior, our Lord Jesus. And if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, you've placed your faith in Christ, you've committed yourself to following him, then this is your song. The Lord is my shepherd. Can you say that this morning? That the Lord is my shepherd. I trust by the time you leave, you can truly say that from your heart. The Lord is my shepherd. There's a second word I want to underline. It's found in verse 2 and 3. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Restores. To restore implies that there has been a time of stress and exhaustion, and there's a need to bring back to a state of health which once existed, to renew and to refresh. For the sheep, it may have meant that they had traveled through a dry and dusty desert, and they were tired and in need of refreshment. For you here this morning, it might mean that the stresses and strains of life have left us feeling emotionally, spiritually, and physically drained. How were the sheep restored? First of all, by being brought to a place where their hunger and thirst could be quenched, green pastures, quiet, still water, by coming to a safe place where they're able to rest and lie down in safety. Perhaps this morning you're at a place in your life where you feel drained and exhausted. Life has a way of doing that to us on a fairly regular basis. In the Bible, our life and our life as believers is sometimes compared to a race and when the picture of a race is used, it doesn't usually mean a sprint. That only lasts a few seconds. But I think what's in mind when the Bible talks about that race of faith, it's the long-distance run, the marathon race. For those who are serious runners in Ontario, there is a serious run every June. Uh, June 22nd, I think it was this year, down in the Niagara region. And Sharon and I just happened to be biking not running, you'll note, but biking. And I noticed all the markers along the Niagara Trail. It's called the Niagara Ultra Marathon Race. 
Now, it's only recently I ever heard of ultra-marathon races. My friend Carol likes to run in such things. Remember, the marathon is 42 kilometers or 26 miles and 385 yards, and I won't digress into why those numbers exist. But anyhow, for ultra-marathon runners, they're just kind of getting into fifth gear when they pass that marathon, because an ultra-marathon is at least 50 kilometers. That's from here to Stratford. And those who are into it big time, it may be 100 kilometers. That's from here to Stratford and back. Keep that up, Darcy, right? Uh, the Niagara Ultramarathon is on the lower end. It has a, a marathon, half marathon. It has a 50K ultramarathon and an 80K ultramarathon. And my friend Carol, she's into that kind of thing. And that's the one she ran. And you're right. She told me that the day after, every fiber of every muscle of everything in her body hurt. And in the ultra-marathon of life that we all face, we come to those places of exhaustion and pain, and we have this need for spiritual restoration and renewal, spiritual food to strengthen us, the powerful word of God, the bread of life, which can give new life to us, refreshing living water to quench your thirsty spirit. Jesus said, whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give will become a spring of life welling to eternal life. There's an old chorus that goes like this. It says, there is a river that flows from deep within. There is a fountain that frees the soul from sin. Come to this water. There is a vast supply. There is a river that never shall run dry. And this morning, we're invited to come and to drink to drink deeply of the Lord's love and his mercy. We're invited to come and feed on all the spiritual food that he provides for us through his word. Now, there's another part of this restoration process, and it's found right in the word. It's the word rest. To be restored means to rest, to lie down and to bask in his provision. Here's the key thought. The Christian faith begins by resting on God's promise. Faith is trusting, not on what I can do, but on what Christ has done. That's why we have a cross at the front of the church, to remind us that we did not save ourselves. He had to save us. Every religion in the world is built on merit. What can I do to please God? But the religion of Jesus is built on grace, what he has done for us that we could not do for ourselves. I think all of us actually know that. We know the Christian faith starts with resting on what Christ has done, by trusting not on my own merits, but trusting his once-for-all finished work on the cross. But there's another key aspect to faith that sometimes is forgotten. Faith continues with rest. The key to spiritual restoration is rest, returning to the cross on many, many occasions, to come back and say, Lord, I need you. Jesus said, his yoke is easy. His burden is light. Serving the Lord was never meant to be frustrating and exhausting. Do you know, all of us are called to be active in our service for Christ, but we are not called to be harassed, frazzled, or exhausted. You remember my friend Carol, who ran in that Niagara Ultra Marathon. I should tell you, she actually enjoys, she actually enjoys 
running races. Like, that, that is beyond my comprehension. Uh, sure, she says they're difficult, but she said she likes that part as well. If I had to run an ultramarathon, well, it would be the last thing I'd ever do, but, but if I had to run an ultramarathon, it would be punishment, cruel and unusual punishment. Right? But you see, she likes it. When we do what we're gifted and called to do, the burden is light. The shepherd's desire is not exhaustion but restoration. Now, there's another word catches my attention there in verse 3. It says, he leads me in paths of righteousness. He leads me in paths of righteousness. I think I have that one up there. There it is. I knew it came somewhere. I shall not be in want, for the shepherd leads me in paths of righteousness. If you look in your Bible, if you have an ESV version, there's a little notation, and there's a marginal reading which says, leads me in the right paths. The shepherd leads the sheep in the right paths. He takes them on the straight and narrow way. He avoids side trails and dead-end roads which take the sheep astray. The good news is our shepherd, the Lord Jesus, sets our feet on good paths. He points us in the right direction. The Lord provides us with moral direction for our lives. He gives us the way that we should go. Now... The world is filled with flashy, glitzy sideshows which can easily get us off track. And maybe there's something that's closer to our heart. If I am honest, my emotions and my feelings can send me in many misleading ways. However, here's the point. Following the way of Jesus will never lead you astray. It will never lead you to a life of regret. Following the shepherd will never lead you into moral favor, failure, failure. Never. It will never lead you into addictive and abusive behavior. It's only when I stray from his guidance and start following my own feelings and my own desires, then I end up in danger. I am in danger when I follow paths of my own making. How difficult an ugly life becomes when people follow their own self-centered desire. Brothers and sisters, we live in a society of people who follow however they feel. And man, does that lead you into some strange places. When we look at pop culture today, we see the results of living a life, as Sinatra said, my way. I often think the world of culture, our world of pop culture is full of successful failures. It's full of successful failures. But there's another option. The good shepherd says, here is the way. Walk in it. You will find rest for your souls. The shepherd provides guidance. Now come to verse 4 with me. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. There's another phrase I want to underline. The valley of the shadow of death. Sometimes the sheep find themselves in danger, even in danger, mortal danger. Perhaps there's a wild animal, a lion or a bear on the prowl. Or perhaps the sheep have had to travel through some steep, treacherous canyon path. They had no other choice. And death lurks with one wrong step. The valley of the shadow of death. Here's a key truth I want you to take with you today, and it's this. It's self-evident if you think about it. There will be trouble in life. 
And contrary to those who would preach a success gospel, there will be trouble and difficulty in the life of the Christian. You are not immune. The success gospel teachers say Christians can be free from all trouble in their life all the time. They claim wealth and healing all the time. And that a lack of these things is evidence of a lack of faith. But look at the pages of Scripture. I find these great saints who had great problems, people of great faith, and yet they suffered. Think of Joseph, who is falsely accused and put in prison. Think of Paul, who is beaten, shipwrecked, ultimately beheaded. Think of David, the one we're talking, who wrote this, that we're uh, talking about this morning, betrayed by his own son. Think of the Lord Jesus. They called him a man of sorrows. This is a reality. At some point in the journey of faith, all of us will go through the valley of the shadow. I've gone through that valley. It is a very unpleasant experience. Perhaps this morning you were going through a valley, a valley of financial crisis, a valley of serious illness, a valley of divorce, a valley of grief. These are dark and difficult valleys, and they're not easy and they're not pleasant, and you feel that no one understands. I want to remind you of a great truth this morning. The shepherd is still there. The shepherd is with you in the valley. As a statement of faith, the psalmist says, says, the psalmist says you are with me. Even if it doesn't feel like it, he's there, and he'll bring you through. Life is easy when you're up on a mountain. And you've got peace of mind that you've never known. But then things change. And you're down in the valley. Don't lose hope. For you're never alone. For the God on the mountain is still God in the valley. And when things go wrong, he'll be your light. And the God of the good times is still God in the bad times. And the God of the day is still God in the night. A wise Christian leader once said, Don't throw out in the dark what you learned in the light. Now look at verse 4 again. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I want to look at those two words there, the rod and the staff. In the dark valley, the shepherd protected the sheep. It says here he brought them comfort. Now, I don't know. I know you are, but I was thinking about this this morning. When I think of comfort, I think of my nice soft couch. That's kind of com- I don't think of these things. I, I, think of, um, I think of somebody saying something nice to me as comfort. But, and those are, those are legitimate uses of the word. But the word comfort in its historical context means to come alongside or to bring strength. A fort is something strong. So how did the shepherd bring strength to the sheep? He brought it in two distinct ways, with a rod, which is a baton or a club, a weapon. They put spikes in it that he could use to defend against wild animals. And with a staff, the shepherd's crook that he could use to pull a wandering sheep back from the wrong ways. If you think about it, the shepherd dealt with two forms of attack. First of all, external attacks on the sheep. That's what that baton was. It wasn't to beat the sheep. It was to beat the wolves, right? And the second is from the enemy within, that which in our hearts would make us wander away, and the shepherd draws us back. 
The Lord Jesus, our shepherd, brings us strength and comfort in times of trouble. He has won the victory. On the cross, he once and for all defeated the power of sin and death. And even though trouble can torment you, it does not need to destroy you. Jesus said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. No one can pluck you out of my hand. We are secure when we belong to the shepherd and he will bring us through. Now look for a minute at verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And I've underlined three key words there. A table, the oil, and the cup which overflows. A table. A table is a place of banquet, a place to be invited to a feast. And in ancient culture, when you were invited to a feast like that, it was a sign of acceptance. It still is. That hasn't really changed. The second is oil. You anoint my head with oil. Well, that sounds a little messy to me. But oil in ancient culture was a sign of authority. And so when they had a new king, they anointed his head with oil. When there was a new prophet, they anointed him with oil. It was a sign of great honor. It was to designate someone who was blessed and was to be honored. Thirdly, the cup. The cup is not half full and the cup is not half empty. It's so full it's overflowing. The wine is pouring out. It couldn't be contained. All of these things, the banquet, the anointing, the overflowing cup, it's a symbol of great blessing. And note, this blessing did not occur in a place of tranquility. It occurred in the presence of enemies. The blessing occurred in a time of difficulty. Here's the message. In spite of the troubles and difficulties which surround you, it is the Lord's desire to bless you. In the Bible, the blessing had great significance. When the ancient patriarchs were dying, they would bring their children in and they would place their hands on them and bestow the blessing on their children. And the blessing the children were given was what they would become. And to withhold the blessing was a cause of great distress. Do you know, there are some of us here this morning and... We never received the blessing from our parents. It often seemed that there was nothing we could ever do to please them. We grew up with words of criticism, not words of blessing. And you know, sometimes we can have that picture of God, a demanding parent who is never pleased, always looking for more. Nothing could be farther from the truth. Your Father in heaven loves you with a greater love than you can ever imagine, and he wants to bless you. The banquet, the oil, the overflowing cup. He wants to bless you abundantly. Now, as Christians, with a New Testament perspective, I thought we should look forward in the New Testament. What does it mean as Christians to be blessed? So if you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1, there's this amazing passage where Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, and he talks about the blessing for believers. It goes like this, Praise be to the God and Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. How has he done that? Verse 4, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Verse 5, in love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with the pleasure of his will. How has he done it? 
He has chosen us. You are his. These are parts of the Bible that I can't get my heart around. I can get my head around it. But sometimes I struggle to get my heart around it. He has chosen you. You are his desire. Verse 4. He placed his love upon you a long time ago. Long before you knew anything about him. Verse 5. He adopted us as sons. He brought us into his family. We are the sons and daughters of of the king. He loves his children and you're precious in his sight and once you're his child, you're his child forever. I don't know how I can illustrate this. I think a whole lot of you here this morning are parents and if you're not parents, you've watched parents. And you love your children. In fact, you would do anything to help them to thrive. If they were sick, you would go to the ends of the earth. McMaster University is only the place to begin, right? You would go wherever you could go to try and bring healing to your child. How much more does the Heavenly Father love you? How much more? Look at verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood. He purchased us at the highest cost. The lifeblood of his own son, Jesus Christ. He gave his life to set you free. In him we have redemption through his blood. Verse 7, the forgiveness of sins. Your past is clean. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed your transgressions from you. I was in a lineup a while ago, and, and you know when you're standing in a lineup, you kind of get a little bored. And there was a guy just ahead who had a big number four. I didn't know whether he was a Bobby Orr fan or what he was. Big number four on the back of his shirt. But then I could see there was some writing. And being the curious person I am, I kind of snuck up on the line a little bit. And I realized it had these words. It said, forgiven, forgotten, forever. Isn't that good? Chosen, adopted, redeemed, forever. Blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. I don't really know how I can get that across to you. I just trust the Spirit gets it across to your spirit this morning. That you are loved and cared for in a way that you can never imagine. He wants to bless you abundantly. To bless you with peace. To bless you with joy. To bless your marriage and make it a place of harmony. To bless your workplace and make it a place of service. To bless you so you can bless others. Now here's an important detail of this blessing found in Ephesians. This blessing is not just to the individual Christians in the church at Ephesus. It's actually for the whole faith community, for the whole church. He wants to bless the church. It's not only the Lord's desire to bless you, but it's his desire to bless us here. He wants to bless us here at Citizens Church. I was thinking about this as I was, as I was writing this down. I, I wonder what that would look like as he blesses us at Citizens Church. I wonder if I'm open to receive his blessing. And I love this promise in Ephesians 3, verse 20, that he is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Time is gone, or the Sunday school leader will have my head. And that wouldn't be a good thing. I may not get my lunch. Time is gone. Okay, let's look at um, Psalm 23, verse 6. It says this, Surely goodness and mercy, or love, shall follow me all the days of my life. The word follow sounds kind of passive. 
But in Hebrew, it's actually an active word. It could also be translated pursue. God's love, his unending, unchanging covenant love, his goodness, his grace, his mercy, his kindness, pursuing me. It's after me, always there to bless and renew me in every circumstance of life. He is the God who cares for you when you're young, and he is the God who cares for us when we are old. And then the psalm ends with this wonderful affirmation. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. All this through life, his presence, restoring, providing, protecting, blessing, pursuing me. All this and heaven too. No wonder the psalmist rejoiced. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I never said that fear wouldn't find you in the night or that loneliness was something you'd never have to fight, but I did say I'd be right there by your side and I did say I'd always help you fight. You know, I made a promise that I intend to keep. My grace will be sufficient in your time of need. My love will be the anchor that you can hold on to. This is the promise. This is the promise I've made to you. I didn't say you'd never taste the bitter kiss of death or not have to walk through chilly Jordan to enter into rest, but I did say I'd be waiting right on the other side, and I did say I'd dry every tear you cried. Because you know I made a promise that I've prepared a place, and someday sooner than you think you'll see me face to face. You'll sing with the angels and a countless multitude. This is the promise I've made to you. So just keep on walking. Don't turn to left or right. And in the midst of darkness, let this be your light, that hell can't separate us, and you're going to make it through. This is the promise. This is the promise I've made to you. Let us pray. I thank you, Lord, for the promise of grace that we receive from your hand, the promise that takes us through. I thank you for restoration when we are weary. I thank you for provision when we are weak. I thank you for protection in times of trial. And I thank you for your presence, not only in the light, but also in the shadows. For all these rich blessings which come to us in surprising ways, we thank you, O Lord. And we thank you for the promise of home, the Father's house, forever. For all these gracious gifts, we say thanks. Through the name of Jesus Christ, the Great Shepherd. Amen. <laughs>